Welcome to the DJE Podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real life examples. Here's your host, Devin Elder. Hello, hello. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today. My guest is Mr. Adam Gower. His company is GowerCrowd.com. And what they are is a firm that builds and architects and consults with real estate operators around raising capital, right? So everything from content to the systems, the processes for follow-up, bringing investors in via this digital marketing system, which is a fairly complex uh, setup to, to, to build. So they build that for clients or they'll build it for you or build it with you. And um, Kevin's got... I'm sorry, Adam's got uh, 35 years in commercial real estate. He was in Japan for a number of years. Um, he's built all kinds of stuff. He's done seed and angel investing. And then uh, the 2012 Jobs Act that changed the way we're legally able to to form capital and raise capital was a, was a big um, turning point for him. So he's got Gower Crowd, great website, check it out. They've got a weekly newsletter around commercial real estate that comes out. Check that out too. But we had a really good conversation around how sponsors are building these systems to bring accredited investors in. And we talked about a lot of other, other stuff too. The systems, the type of clients they work with, um, some conversation around the current market conditions and what we're seeing here kind of mid-2023. Talked about paid versus organic traffic and a whole lot of other stuff. So very knowledgeable, very experienced gentleman, and I enjoyed the conversation. If you enjoy the DJE podcast, a five-star review helps the reach of this show. That would help a lot if you could leave us a five-star review. We're going to have a quick word from our sponsors, and then we'll get into the show with Mr. Adam Gower. Enjoy. This episode is brought to you by DJE Texas Management Group, a San Antonio, Texas-based real estate investment firm with a track record of transacting on several hundred million dollars of multifamily land and industrial deals throughout Texas. DJE's been in business for over a decade and is approaching 100 team members in San Antonio. To learn more about DJE, visit djetexas.com or the link in the show notes of this episode. This episode's also brought to you by apartmenteducators.com a complete ecosystem for professionals to learn how to find, finance, and operate large multifamily properties for profit. You can get started with a free mini course and learn more at apartmenteducators.com or visit the link in the notes. Adam, welcome to the show. Great to have you on. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me, Devin. Yeah, yeah, my pleasure. We're going to talk today about syndications, about crowdfunding, about raising capital for big deals. And so I'm excited to get into that. I know you got a lot of processes and systems and experience there. Before we get into the nuts and bolts, how about how about some background on you for the audience here that is not uh, in your world or, or hasn't met you? Sure. Uh, you know, you picked my favorite topic. I love talking about me. Right. Uh, so... So I will try and make it brief because I could speak for hours on this topic. Right, sure. But uh, I actually started in commercial real estate uh, investments and finance over 35 years ago. My first outing, really major outing, was raising capital for ground-up multifamily in Southern California. Okay. From there, I ended up in Japan running a division of Universal Studios. And my job there was uh, development of all their real estate across the Asia-Pacific region. 
So that was my first real institutional exposure, dealing with institutional capital. Both partners in the company were public companies. So that was very institutional. I had a $400 million budget in the 90s. So that's, I don't know, probably multiples of that today. Sure, sure. Um, then I came back and started to do my own developments, uh, ground up developments in the LA area, infill, uh, single family home developments, actually. Right. Uh, and in 2007, I had the common sense to sell everything. Oh, my goodness. Right before the doors were shut. So what was that? Uh, was that an in intu intuition? Was this uh, some indicators you saw? Yeah, I was uh, raising. I was trying to get some capital, put, put together some debt uh, finance on some of the deals that I was working on. And there were just strange things going on. Uh, there was right. there was just stuff. There was stuff. I, it, nobody really knew what was happening. This was even before the subprime uh, crisis even became visible, but there were some strange things going on that made me uncomfortable. Sure, uh, and and kept me up at night actually. So yeah. I decided to uh, sell my entire portfolio. I just exited, uh, and it was almost literally right before the crash. Right before it was the summer before Lehman Brothers collapsed. Right, uh, and then the market or the economy went into a tailspin, and I was actually brought into a major bank. Uh, to help them with their non-performing loan portfolio. So this was all real estate collateralized, uh, non-performing uh, loans. And uh, I'm not a banker, uh, but they needed somebody who had commercial real estate investment experience. So my job was to uh, do workouts. Sure. But primarily was to sell the notes, uh, the, right, the mortgages, the um, uh, that uh, the bank had made. Sorry, I've got a. I'm, I'm WFHing, so I've got a hound in the background barking. I'm not. Oh, quite... you know, I don't think it's even audible on this side. All right, good. Um, hard. But... Anyway, so that uh, was a very interesting run, and I ended up over at Colony Capital. I'll, I'll try and keep this short. Colony at the time was the third largest private equity real estate shop in the world, and they had done. They bought around seven billion of non-performing loans from bad banks with in partnership with the FDIC. Right. And my job over there was to work on, it was to do workouts and also package some of these loans and uh, sell them as portfolio loans to banks. It's a long story. Um, once that all that good distress stuff went away and I did very well during that period. Right. Um, I actually started doing seed investing, seed and angel investing. Mm -hmm. Startups, Devin, it was life changing because I was in front of all these uh, students who were doing, had put, formed little startups, and they were speaking a new language, and the language, a new language to me. The language sure. they were speaking was the language of digital marketing. Right. And when the 2012 Jobs Act passed, allowing for sponsors to raise capital online, and I've raised over half a billion myself in person, typically, uh, throughout my career. Um, it occurred to me that this was game changing for commercial real estate, that now sponsors didn't have to have pre-existing relationship. They could act with an investor to solicit money from them. Sure. They could actually raise money online by using digital marketing. So I took it upon myself to learn the art of digital marketing. And that's our primary business today is to build crowd crowdfunding's a misnomer, but basically to build... Uh, capital formation systems for sponsors so that they can attract, nurture, and convert accredited investors into being 
developer uh, uh, being um accredited investors into being investors with them so that's what we do now we build crowdfunding platforms for sponsors that's the short story sure sure well thank you there's a there's a ton in there like you said we could spend hours and hours digging into that how how long were you over in japan for that's fascinating uh most of the 90s really yeah if you had to i have not been to japan i got a friend over there right now took his whole family over there for two weeks if you kind of had to summarize the culture and the experience over there what, what was it like so one of my so my job there was to build was to build yeah. for the studios actually multiplex movie theaters and so what i needed to do was to find land uh and uh so i on that that little island uh well not so much because what i did was i looked for strategic partners one of the partners that i met was a fellow called uh den fujita fujita den and uh den fujita was the only person in the world to have an entire country license for mcdonald's ray Kroc gave him the entire country license for mcdonald's and he was opening four stores a week at that time and was a prolific one of the best connected real estate experts uh uh developers in in the country multi-billionaire anyway what fujita said to me was very interesting he said you know but so people find it very difficult to move to, to do business in japan it's such a it's so foreign a culture but what he said and i found this to be absolutely true was it is actually really easy because it's extremely predictable if you if you find one person reacts in a certain way to uh messaging the chances are that you can replicate that across the whole country right. and that was his expertise when he did marketing it's like it's like we do marketing today it's, but it's very difficult here because there are so many different nationalities and uh, political perspectives and i mean just it's a you know uh, uh you know uh, america is a country of immigrants right ultimately so there's right. all these different cultures absolutely so when you market to, to accredited investors you've got a whole range of they're not monolithic they're not right. just accredited investors they have a lot of avatars right there's a lot of av dozens upon dozens so your sure. messaging has to somehow trigger responses across a, a non-monolithic group in Japan. Once you get your messaging right, it works consistently uh, across the entire population. Obviously not quite as extreme as that, but that's really the big difference uh, is the predictability of the responses that you get that are harder to refine here when we do marketing. Yeah, that's a very interesting, and I'd never thought about that. Um, grew up in America, do business here, and it's it's not homogenous, right? It is very, it's a very diverse group that, you, like you're saying. So that's interesting. Um, I, I like that. Thank you for sharing that. So sure. let's let's talk about this transformation, right? In 2012, with the Jobs Act, that's allowed formation of capital to be radically changed, right? Um, you know, I got into the syndication game slightly after that. So that's, you know, for our firm that's been around a decade, that's kind of always been the norm for us is to be able mm -hmm. to, hey, we can go syndicate capital. We do a lot of 506B deals, which is obviously very different from the marketing perspective, but we've, we've right. done some 506C stuff too. Um, who's, who's an ideal client for you 
as you're putting together these systems processes. This is mm. commercial real estate. Is it exclusively development? Is it all 506C? Talk about kind of who who your your avatar client is for. Yeah. So uh, typically, so in order to be able to solicit online, uh, I mean, there's there's a lot you can do if you're doing 506Bs. I'm sure. always puzzled why anybody bothers to do a 506B anymore, uh, frankly. Right. Right. Uh, unless you want to bring in a handful of non-accredited investors. But for the most yeah. part, that that's kind of a redundant um well I'll touch on one thing there and push back a little bit on the on the uh accreditation ver- verification requirements for the investor, right? You do push a little bit of admin work back on the investor. And maybe you've got some some comments on that or can Yeah, it's not such a big deal. I mean, we've we've yeah. you know, our clients have raised uh, probably over a billion dollars. All 506Cs. Um, there are all kinds of platforms that you can go to to get accreditation. Sure. Um, uh, they're pretty seamless. It's not such a big deal. I mean, the only real challenge, I suppose, is that theoretically, if you've got multi generational investors, and a lot of our clients do, who have been, you know, they have investors that have been with them for decades. Right. Whose parents invested with them. You're right. You know, and now you're sending them extra paperwork. Now you got to say to them, well, no, now you got to say, hey, listen, you know, we're doing a 506C. We need your tax returns or something. I mean, that could be, right. uh, you know, whatever, awkward conversation. But we run these campaigns all the time and nobody really minds particularly. Sure. Uh, the, the, the benefits, though, offset that dramatically because you can advertise. Right. right. So you can put on LinkedIn, you can put on Facebook, you can fly a plane over a city, invest with us. It just opens up the world. And when you're doing a 506B, you can't do general solicitation. So you have to have a personal relationship, which generally means you're raising money on a, a in-person, on a one-by-one basis. Yep. I'll tell you something, Devin. Look, the fact is that as nice a guy as you are, nobody wants to sit down with you for an hour or two, even over lunch or whatever it is, to be pitched. What yep. investors want is they want the ability to be able to do research on you, to be able to understand who you are, what your background is, what your track record is, what your investment thesis is. Uh, and they want to be able to do that anonymously. That's yes. how we uh, c- conduct business these days, right? You, right? you run a search for a name, you look them up on LinkedIn, you look at the website, you check out, you do your research. It doesn't matter what you do. If you buy a car, we, I just bought a vacuum cleaner for crying out. It took me half a day just figuring out what bloody, excuse my language, what vacuum cleaner, right? Yep. The reason I did that was because there's a wealth of information out there. Right. Uh, and once I'd made my decision, this is key. Once I'd made that my decision, I, I and I showed up at the door of this particular whatever brand, I was already predisposed to buying. I'd already made that buying decision. That's right. So if you provide preempt all the questions that your prospects are going to have about your business, about your investment thesis and your background and your story, et cetera. If you preempt all of those questions by digitizing all of that narrative, putting it up on your website and punching it out to social media, what happens is that when investors come to you, they have already done their research and they are predisposed to investing with you. So your conversations with them are conversion conversations. They're not asking you, right. what's your background? Why do you like multifamily? Why do you like Texas? They're not asking you those questions because right. you've already 
They've learned that already. What they ask, and we do this actually, we do work, we do actually manage IR for some of our clients. Interesting. I'd like to uh, and that, that and, more, but I don't want to those, derail you right now. Sure. And those questions, so that and so we see these questions, plus that we, you know, we 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 advise our clients on best practices for conversions of prospects and sure. what kind of narrative, what kind of email sequences you send out, what kind of you know phone calls and conversations. It's like we we manage not manage, but we advise on all of those things right. because we have such a broad range of clients. We see what works best. We know what works best, and we roll those strategies out, those tactics out to all of our clients, and we're constantly testing. Um, but what you find is that the kinds of questions, if you build your system properly, what you find is that your first contact with a prospect is not who are you, what do you do and why, right. but are questions like, can I use a company to invest? Or I'm not sure about DocuSign. Will you send the contracts to me? Right. In other words, they've made their decision. Now that now you're just administering, helping them with admin. Right. just to make the investment. So it's a substantial substantial difference and it helps leverage your time. I didn't answer your question though, which was, I bet you can't remember because I didn't yeah, kind of it flag was on. talking about kind of the ID, the uh, the avatar or who, yeah. you, you know, who you've had kind of the most success working with or that, that you're, you know, ideally teed up to serve, right? Yeah. So we, um, our, I like the testing me though. I like that. Yeah. What's that? I like you testing me on my uh, on my knowledge there. I got no <laughs> <laughs> your memory. Uh, your short term memory. Um, yes. So uh, our, the systems that we built are uh, industry leading. Uh, we, we we deal with a lot of the crowdfunding platforms, some of the top sponsors in the country. Uh, so we're very, very advanced. And like I said, our clients have raised many hundreds of millions, if not into the billions of dollars in mm -hmm. equity using five or six C's primarily sure. uh, crowd. It's not crowdfunding, but digital marketing, uh, general solicitation. Um, so the people that benefit the most from us, from the work that we do and uh, hiring us are typically larger scale shops that have a deep experience season, a, a long track record, Sure, and who are looking to, in many cases, migrate away from institutional capital, uh, so that they're no longer running their businesses by committee, right? Having right. to get permissions for all material decisions, uh, major decisions from their partners. So those folk uh, we work very well with. Uh, usually, they're smaller shops, though. So, like huge companies, don't work too well. We don't work too well with those. Because they have large teams of people internally anyway. So right. we can just is, advise. Is there, what's a metric you like to to kind of bucket these firms? Is it a, is it AUM? Is it investor capital they're managing? No, I think really the most important thing is, and, and I will say this, I, I, I'll, I'll, this is one avatar. Typically, it's multi-cycle experience. So our, yep. Yep. our primary clients uh, are... I've been through at least one cycle. I would say one cycle. Mm -hmm. So the global financial crisis. So 17 years ago, the last cycle. Now we're heading into another. Actually, we're in another one now. We're in it. Yeah. Uh, but um, they, I think probably the smallest AUM we've worked with is around 100 million, and the largest. Uh, I don't know what they are today. 25 billion, maybe. Uh, so really huge on the scale, like a really broad range. Right. Um, 
But then we also do have a program. So that's where we actually build systems. We build out these crowdfunding platforms for our clients. Right. But then we also have a, a program called the Syndicator Program. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a, uh, a do-it-yourself program, or actually done-with-you program. So where I'll guide you through how to build the system yourself. Right. And that comes with uh, 12 weeks membership to the Inner Circle, where we have live calls. In fact, I've got one coming up today at noon. Uh, live calls with uh, to do you know, whatever troubleshooting you want. We've got one shop. Uh, they're a multifamily shop uh, that are joining us today. And uh, they want to discuss advanced marketing tactics and technique. Yeah. Uh, So that's what we'll talk about with them. But they've been going through the program, building out their system themselves. They've got a nice team internally who are very diligently following our guidelines. And then each week we discuss, we answer any questions. And most of the time on Thursdays in the Inner Circle call, we do, we answer advanced questions. Facebook advertising, uh, unpaid and paid marketing across the board. Sure. Uh, you know, for, for email sequences, what kind of correspondence do you need to con- to convert a prospect into being an investor? Uh, so it's more advanced. Yeah, love it. Thanks, thanks for answering that. I want to dive in kind of at a high level uh, into the system. And you've got a nice layout on the website kind of talking about how the whole ecosystem works here. But for the for the audio listener... Um, what does this system entail? You've got this tremendous opportunity to speak to the whole world and potentially attract investors. Um, and you know, what is the, what is the framework, the architecture at a, at a high level of the kind of the pieces of the system that come together to go from, um, not having system in place to having this digital marketing system that's delivering investors. Right. So I'm going to give you an analogy. Sure. Uh, I think of the systems that we build, uh, like, a car it's like a car right so your website is the equivalent of the car's body right the way it sure. looks sure and uh, if you think about having a car in your driveway right if you've got a super nice looking car with doors on it well that invites people to come and have a look and to open the door and to step inside well that's what your website needs to be it needs to be attractive uh, it needs to have functionality which means it needs to have lead generation forms embedded throughout the website. And so that's kind of the doors, the, you know, the analogy, continuing the analogy to, to a car is having doors you can get in. The next thing you need, though, is an engine. And an engine in uh, on a website is your are your lead generation forms that are linked up to auto-responding email systems. So when somebody completes a form, uh, they get a sequence of emails Auto- automated emails, nurturing them, introducing them to what you do, why it's of interest or why it's valuable to them. And then eventually, after that initial welcome sequence goes out automatically, transitioning them to a newsletter, which if you don't have, you absolutely do have to have. Mm-hmm. It's a newsletter, regular yep. newsletter. Yep. Right. Yep. So that's the engine. The engine is the functionality. And there's a lot of other parts to the functionality. Uh, tracking uh, code, cookie code, pixels, sure. Google tags, uh, SEO. I mean, there's a lot underneath the hood. But in principle, a basic, the high level, it's uh, the ability to um, <clears throat> automate your responses to prospects and then track how they act on your website. Mm-hmm. Now, 
you got a car in the driveway with an engine, right? But that is of no use to you at all unless you have fuel. You got to have right. fuel. So what powers the engine on a capital formation website is content. Mm-hmm. And the content that you need to have has to be utterly authentic to you. So, Devin, you've been in this for 10 years and you know what it's like raising money from individuals. Just anybody listening, think about the one of your investors. Just think about the, your ideal investor, actually a real person. And I'm not talking about mom or dad. I'm talking about somebody who came into your network who didn't know you and you didn't know them. What was, this is rhetorical, what was the process for getting them to invest? Well, I can tell you what it was likely uh, looked like. First, you met, you arranged a time to meet. Then you had a follow-up and you agreed to send stuff. And then they said they do something. And then you met again. And then you did a phone call. And then you did something else. And months and months go on. And you repeat that story time and time again. Every time you meet a new investor, you go through the same process. It's very, very inefficient. You're fielding the same questions every single time on an individual basis. So your content needs to essentially be that entire narrative that you have. If you think about any of your pro- your ideal investors, what were every single conversation you had, what were all the questions that they asked, aggregate everything that you've heard from all of your investors, right? And eventually what you'll find is that there is a critical mass of conversations that you have and questions that you have. All of that needs to be converted into articles and videos. Yes. And then all of those articles and videos are housed on your website and broken down into tiny sound bites. And those tiny sound bites, we call them notable quotables, are then auto-posted on social media on a regular basis. So now what you've suddenly done is you've taken your entire investment thesis, background, and story. You've housed it on a website that is able to attract uh, and respond automatically to prospects. And you've pushed it out onto the World Wide Web on social media. LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook are really the key ones. Mm -hmm. LinkedIn being primary, Facebook, because that's where you do advertising. And Twitter, only if you're an active Twitter, you know, tweeter. Sure. And that's how you elevate your visibility. So now people who have never seen you before know nothing about you. Suddenly, they start seeing you repeatedly. And after between 8 and 12 points of contact, they will engage with you. So that's how you do it. That's basically what the machine looks like. And that's what we build for our clients or show you how to build yourself and guide you through it. Sure, sure. Thank you for the overview. I appreciate that. I wanted to get back... Adam, to this um, this IR as a service, investor relations as a service. I think that's very interesting. Wow. It's a very um, involved process, right? I, you know it in and out and been doing it for a long time. Um, what does that look like? And are you seeing, you mentioned, you know, this kind of multi-cycle shops, folks that have been around for decades doing this, and there's there's advantages there, obviously, as a sponsor. But how does that work? Investor relations as a service. There's a, yes. there's a lot of pieces. And, and, and I know I gave, I gave you the wrong impression. There. So okay. what we, we don't typically uh, do IR. Our yep. clients have investor relations pros on board. 
uh, or they bring them in and we build tailor-made systems for them depending on how they like to operate so some IR pros will like to make phone calls others like to do text messaging others like to just do emails uh you know we understand what are the strengths and weaknesses of the IR pros that we work with at our clients companies and then we tailor make uh systems to uh facilitate their their normal workflows right their natural workflows right. in some and we advise them because again we see look this is the digital marketing is not uh black and white it changes all the time sure. we're not static sure. it changes all the time you've got to be on top of what are the current trends what language patterns are working today uh that might not have done yesterday or don't you know that that but that used yesterday that don't work today you've got to be really tuned in i mean it's a constantly changing environment okay. so we see what's going on we test stuff ourselves uh, we run our own campaigns we test language patterns in our own campaigns to see what works and what doesn't and we roll those out with our clients um so in some and that's what we advise we help our clients understand what language patterns to use and what so if somebody for example likes to make phone calls Okay, we'll we'll tell you. All right, this is what works best. You don't have to guess anymore and imagine. If you like making phone calls, this is how you want to do it. This is how you want to structure your conversations. Um, but um, as far as actually managing IR, that's very unusual for us. We sure, don't sure. often do that. We have some clients that um, want us to do that, and so we do. But that is. Where those are more partnerships, more of a one-off. Yeah, to totally makes sense. I mean, there's a lot there. I want to get your thoughts, Adam, on on paid versus organic. So you're talking about content marketing. You're talking about, and I love this idea of kind of turning your FAQ because, you know, if you if you're in this business, you realize there's like ten questions, and they're all kind of the same. You need to you need to get that stuff out there ahead of time because people do want that self service model. I want to research things in my own time, in full anonymity like your vacuum cleaner analogy, we all want to do that now. Um, and we can, as sponsors, we can certainly create that content and push it out there, but want to get your thoughts on paid, paid versus yeah. organic. Um, we've got the ability to create organic content. Paid's a completely different animal. And just kind of thinking of our firm, we've done zero paid. We've kind of talked about it, but um, it's just a different animal. So I want to get your thoughts on the differences there. Yeah. So paid advertising, don't do any paid advertising until you built a proper, lead generating website right uh, you've got to because what's going to happen is you can certainly do it right. but your cost of acquisition and we're talking to sponsors right capital raises sure, sure yeah investors right uh, but to um if you start doing advertising paid advertising google or linkedin or facebook or uh or youtube or paid webinars or whatever it is the first thing that anybody's going to do when they see your ad is they're going to research you. Yep. And if your website is empty, essentially, it, you, you've got a lot more. That ad itself has to do a lot more heavy lifting to actually get somebody to sign up. And then you've got significantly more heavy lifting to actually convert them into being a, an active investor. So yep. the first rule of effective paid advertising is build your uh digital platform uh digital presence online first right get that done first so that when you start spending on advertising 
your conversion rates are significantly higher, both in terms of lead generator cost per lead and right. cost per conversion. Right. So that's rule number one. First, build out a good platform and then do advertising. Now, right. what happens when you build a platform like I just described to you a few minutes ago is that you will start to see a steady drip of leads. It's like going back to our car analogy. It's uh -huh. like popping the popping the, the the gear into drive, but not pushing on the gas. You will just slowly cruise down the road, right? You'll just coast down the road in, in, yep. in drive without any gas. Right. Paid advertising is like putting your foot on the pedal. Right. And that's what makes you go fast. So we generate, depending on how, what your pay, what your what your budget is. In some cases, we generate 10 to 20 new leads every single day uh, for clients, accredited investor leads. And then you're into a very different world yep. of, uh, of conversion and, and data and understanding how to convert and maximize sure. generation. But so you better, that's, have your, better have your system set up at that point. Well, once you're getting that kind of velocity of lead generation, you're, you're in a different world altogether of of conversions yeah it's yeah. it's that's a much bigger discussion but yeah that's exactly right so that that's really it devon first build your platform then do paid advertising because paid advertising is like putting your foot on a gas but if you don't have a vehicle all you're doing is burning fuel in the street right yeah. you'll yeah. get some results but it, they will they will be suboptimal sure Sure. And then you found for clients that do have that platform built out, they've got the systems, they've got the architecture for the follow-ups and the conversions that, okay, you've got that foundation built. Now those paid ads can be highly effective once all that's built. Yes. They're a lot more effective than if you don't have your platform in, you know, built, uh, but they're also, but paid ads also are require a lot of work. I mean, there's a lot of heavy lifting. Sure. The for difference sure. is that, um, it's just your uh, your your expense of time or your time is that much more effective right so instead of doing one on one meetings you're now in front of hundreds of thousands or millions of people who self select essentially right. to come to you right. uh, and then your system should nurture them independently of you uh until you're ready to and there's all kind of tactics and techniques to optimize sure. conversions but yeah that's it in principle yeah, I love it. Thanks for the overview there. Well, we're talking mid-2023. This podcast is coming out uh, mid-2023. I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you what you're seeing out there in the marketplace. I mean, 10 straight uh, Federal Reserve rate hikes. You've been in commercial real estate a long time. You've got your lots of relationships with ex very experienced sponsors. And we could spend the next 12 hours talking about that. But I, I, like I said, I want to get your kind of thought. What are you hearing? What are you seeing out there right now? Yeah. So what we're looking for actively is uh, distressed deal flow. Sure. Uh, and so what that means is uh, typically these are, well, basically driven, largely driven by uh, interest rate hikes. It's Certainly. So uh, sponsors that uh, had floating rate debt or come to maturity, uh, you know, mat uh, maturities on their loans, having to refinance, looking at cash in refinances, uh, or, uh, you know, just not able to refinance at all. So we are actively looking to partner with sponsors who have access to deals like that. All right. So 
not directly buying those deals, although we can, uh, but we are looking to, to a lot of the sponsors that we know are out there trawling for deals and they need capital. So we are active. This is the first time since I've been doing this uh, for, with Gower Crowd, right? This time around. It's the first downturn, Devin. So it's the, the it for, a long run. Know, yeah, it was a really uh, long run. So we're actively looking to uh, do some JV partnerships with sponsors that have good deals uh, who need capital. Yeah. Um, what we're seeing is it's interesting. So there we're seeing some big cracks forming already. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's a lot more distress than people are really aware of. The first signs of that are uh, um, distribution stopping. Yep. Uh, followed by capital capital calls. calls. Yep. Uh, so yeah. the first, yeah. So the first wave is uh, distributions, and then what you find happens with less experienced sponsors is that they tend to go quiet, uh, mm. and uh, you know they're they're frantic behind the scenes, uh, trying to figure out what's going on and how they're going to survive, basically. Um, and so we're starting to get a sense of that. The other thing that we're beginning to see is banks. Uh, so we have, you know, I used to work for a bank. So we see, um, you know, we are seeing some uh, loan divestments, uh, real estate collateralized loans. And the other thing that we're seeing are deals where sponsors took on capital that was non-traditional capital, uh, extremely expensive debt. Uh, Pref, and, uh, Pref or Mesdad or what? What are we talking? Yeah, about? but no, I mean primary. Yeah, just the first position, hard, hard money type, hard money yeah. basically, but big yeah. numbers. I mean, some crazy things that uh, that we're seeing. Yeah, uh, and uh, deals are you know. So the biggest issues are and this applies to all asset classes. The biggest issues are um, uh, uh, the costs have gone up. Operating costs have gone up. Employment no costs have gone up. Insurance rates have skyrocketed. Uh, rents have flattened. And, uh, you know, depending on the asset class, occupancies have either stayed stable or have collapsed. It really right. depends on the asset class. Uh, and then, of course, the uh, the big issue is uh, the cost of debt, which has uh, essentially... So as debt has gone up, it's brought values down, right? Cat res, cadet goes up, cat rates go up, values come down. And so the quandary that a lot of sponsors are facing now are how to refinance with lower value properties. Right. Uh, because the banks are looking for much more equity and they are very cautious at the moment about Certainly. making any loans to commercial real estate. Certainly. Yeah. So there is a liquidity crunch uh, that is building dramatically. And uh, we, we anticipate that there will be a flood of uh, discounted, non-performing real estate, distressed real estate uh, by the end of this year and into the beginning of next year, uh, right. and that it will be a short burst uh, of activity. Uh, we do think that the Fed is going to increase rates another couple of times, possibly this year. Right. Uh, but as soon as they decide to reduce rates, there will be a a, a rush of capital back into the market yeah, yeah so absolutely. it's going to be short and sweet uh this there's a lot of dry powder ready for that little burst. there is yes and there's yeah. also going to be a clean out as well devin i mean there's yeah. you know lots oh, of yeah. stuff out there that yeah already seeing that not been through what are you seeing 
Same. Um, you know, it's interesting. Yeah, a lot of distribution stopping. And then I'm seeing a lot of capital calls. Um, seeing, and, and then we're seeing, I mean, just flat out, we're seeing deals getting taken back by the bank. Mm-hmm. Um, we're seeing distress takeover deals. We we were involved in a just absolute takeover of a of a deal. Um, what do you mean a takeover? Like like we had to we had to buy out um, a deal that we were a very small partner in and just completely take it over and inject all the liquidity. So it was a, it was a complete, um, you know, basically handing over the deal to us so that we could okay. we could get it done. And then we're seeing a handful. So we're in San Antonio, Texas. Texas is a pretty good market, but we're seeing a lot of the same things, right? Rents flattening out. Expenses, um, especially insurance in some of these markets. San Antonio is pretty good. Houston, though, for example, you know, you might see insurance rates double. Uh, mm-hmm. And the taxes, property taxes have always been a challenge in Texas, but right. they remain extremely aggressive. So I think it's kind of the, the same thing that we're seeing. Um, yeah, I was just well, talking about look, this. if you see deals that you're interested in that are, yeah. you know, have some burden or some distress in them, mm-hmm. and you need capital. You know, that's what we're working on. We can sure. bring capital sure. to the table directly. Yeah, no, that's great. I, th- I think I, to, I, to do these deals. I think I tend to agree with you that um, there everybody's kind of waiting for something, and I, and I think it might be a short window, and there's going to be a lot of people trying to get in that window at the at the same time. So that it, it'll be interesting. Um, you know, I'm I'm encouraged by the fact that we're kind of as far as we are into this hiking cycle, and that it's been as aggressive as it has been. Meaning that, you know, do we find the top sooner? I don't know. But um, but we're, you know, we're well into this thing a year plus. So um, it's interesting and, you know, never a dull moment in commercial real estate. That's right. Uh, yeah. So, but seeing a lot of, a lot of the same things you are um, and we'll, you know, we'll see how the rest of the year plays out and see what next year and an election looks like and um, just try, try and stay on our toes and stay you know, there's going to be some clear winners here that are that are well capitalized or have access to capital, mm-hmm. um, and there's you know we're we're already seeing the losers kind of kind of come out on some of this stuff that just right you know any business runs out of money. It's going exactly to be right. So, um, seen seen a lot of the same stuff. All right, so I did start asking you questions, but it's no, sure I like it. Yeah, so no, it's good. I think me. it's 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 good to get to kind of trade notes right now. Um, you know what? I, what I've we're in a, a number of different asset classes: multifamily, land, industrial, and it feels like everything is muted, but it's not. It's not dead. We're still selling some stuff, still buying some stuff. It just the volume is absolutely not. Yes, you know, clearly what it was. Um, we got a couple offers in the last few years on some deals that I'm kind of going, yeah, I should have taken that offer. Yes, exactly. Um, we do hear a lot of that. As well. um, but at the same time, you know, we're, we're, we're multi-year hold on all this stuff and, and we, we can just, well, as long as you feel, that's the thing you see, as long as you are underwriting for long-term holds, yeah. right? if you're, if you're underwriting for a, you know, a short-term flip. And when I say short-term, I mean, even, you know, three, three to five years. Sure. There's always going to be that risk. And then you also have, because I don't know what your model is at all, but this is something that I, you know, these are kind of strategic discussions that we have with some of our clients. Right. They're open to it. But the IRI is a problematic metric to use for hurdles. Because the longer the deal continues, if there's any delay for any reason uh, to the performance of a deal, it becomes harder and harder for the sponsor to hit those hurdles. And so they become 
incentivized to sell early. And if you're incentivized to sell early, you might be selling into a down market. So it can be hazardous. We've counseled our clients to use uh, an equity multiple. And I get pushback from some guys. They they have different perspectives. But to use an equity multiple hurdle, because an equity multiple hurdle serves... Uh, now, look, this is not absolute. It really is dependent on the sponsor and, and uh, et cetera. But the, the nice thing about the equity multiple hurdle is it doesn't create this misalignment of interest between right. the sponsor right. and their investors that is driven by an IRR hurdle, right? You, if you get out a year earlier, your IRRs spike. Yep. But that that is can be misleading of what the real optimal exit point is for a deal. And if you are IRR based, then you are looking to get out soon because you have to. Right. If your hurdles are IRR based, you can't be sitting on a deal for 10, 10 years or anything. Right. Uh, but if you're equity multiple hurdle, you you have you're not motivated to sell during a downturn. Sorry, that sure. was sure. Yeah, no, that makes it makes sense. And and there's uh there's pros and cons to each, but I think I think being transparent with your investor base about that and making sure they're on board. But but uh, it is interesting we see sponsors crow about a you know ridiculously high IRR and it's like well yeah I mean it was a, it was an eighteen month deal of course that metric is going to be spiked and now you're kind of misleading folks on that so do your diligence folks if you're investing in deals understand understand how those numbers are different. Um, well, this has been great, Adam. I, I really appreciate talking to you, and I, I appreciate you sharing your your wisdom. That is is cool. no doubt hard won through lots of different projects and in a long career. So, thank you. If somebody listening wants to learn more about what you're doing, where should we send them? Thank you. So, the best bet actually is just to go to the website gowercrowd.com. Gowercrowd.com, and uh, we have a newsletter that covers ev- all the latest updates and what's going on. In commercial real estate finance, just subscribe to that. It's free. Uh, and it's the only one that really covers capital formation and crowdfunding and syndication, real estate syndication exclusively. Goes oh, out every Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Okay. So, so you guys publish weekly on that? Yes. Yeah. Every Wednesday. Well, if you're listening, you can scroll through to the show notes and click right through to that link, gowercrowd.com, and subscribe to the newsletter. Uh, Adam, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much for yeah, thank you, us. Devin. I'm really happy to meet you. Seriously. Yeah. Thank wish you. you the wish you the best for the uh for the rest of the year ahead. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to the DJE podcast. For more information, please go to DJETexas.com.